Good morning, afternoon, and evening, and welcome to the 8311 Cast, your premier Midwestern-based sports podcast, bringing you all things sports to your beautiful ears. Join your hosts, Kyle Mersch, Mike Ludwig, and Wyatt Teeter as we talk to you about college football, college basketball, the NFL, and of course, our signature segments, your weekly turtle tab, Mike's Stupid Rules, and Write That Down Predictions, here on episode 152. This week, the Colts and the Bills played for a final score of 41-15 to on Sunday, I think, uh, which was a scoregami. And for those that are not in the know, uh, if you're just joining the show on what our 152nd episode or something, a scoregami is a score that has never happened before in the history of the NFL. Uh, so never once before has a team scored 41 and the losing team scoring 15. Never happened. Uh, other... Kind of notable, not quite a scoregami, but like a second place scoregami was the Saints and Eagles game, 29 to 40. This is only the second time this has happened, uh, with the original scoregami happening in the year 2000. Uh, and notably, but not also notably, uh, there was a number third place scoregami. I don't even know what you call that. The Steelers and Chargers, 37 to 41. Third time that's ever happened. So we had a one, two, three week with scoregamis. How cool is that? I do like scoregamis. They are kind of cool. I'm still waiting for the uh, the uh, six to one scoregami. If that six to one scoregami ever happens, then I'll really get excited. As will I. That would be amazing. I, I will look forward to that. What was not amazing was the Cyclones play um, this week against OU. For those of you who weren't able to watch. The Cyclones did lose a close game um, to OSU this past week. Final score of 28-21. I don't have a ton of thoughts from this game. Uh, The Cyclones were solid, but not great. Um, The offense struggled at times. The defense let up some big plays. I just have three main points. Um... First of all, bad execution in the last two minute of halves again. Just like last week against Texas Tech, um, bad execution in the last two minute of halves um, with a disastrous sequence that turns into an Oklahoma defensive touchdown with less than a minute, oh, less than 10 seconds, I believe, left on the, uh, the clock in the first half um, that turns it from a tie game into a 14-7 OU lead at the half. And then at the end of the, the game, um, penalties, sacks, etc. in the last two minutes of the second half that end up derailing a Cyclones drive as they tried to score the, uh, the touchdown to bring them within one. And then I assumed they were going to go for two if they scored that touchdown like they did two years ago in Norman. We'll never know, but that's what I assumed they were going to do in that um, case. But they just... They just couldn't do anything on offense in the last two minutes of that second of the game with the exception of throw the ball to Charlie Kohler, which I don't know why Oklahoma didn't cover better. It feel, felt like he was open on pretty much every play. I think he had like 50 yards receiving just in that on that last drive. Incredible, incredible drive for Kohler in his uh, homecoming coming back to Norman. Because did you guys know he played basketball with Trey Young? Did he play basketball with Trey Young? Yeah. Wow. I've never. You probably never heard that before. No, not for like Even the four hundred Cyclones game regularly. Not for the four hundredth time in his career at Iowa State. Yeah. Um, my second thought is enough with the fancy play calling, right? You have one of the best running backs in the Big Twelve, and Brock Purdy 
is your most decorated quarterback. Um, sorry, in the NCAA, I might have said NFL there. Um, he will be one of the best running backs in the NFL next year. Um, and Brock Purdy is the most decorated quarterback in school history. So why on third and fourth and one are you not handing the ball downhill to Brees Hall? You're doing a short side pitch and then you're running a quarterback keeper to the outside? Why? That's terrible play calling. And then on that drive that got derailed um, in the uh, second half, at the end of the first half, you had that illegal forward pass play, right? Where you just didn't execute well. But first of all, why is Hunter Deckers on the field? And why are you running that? You're not trying to fool Oklahoma there. Your, your offense has done fine. You're already in field goal range. All you have to do is not screw up. When all you're trying to do is not screw up, why the heck are you running the Philly special with your backup quarterback? With the backup quarterback. That makes no sense. Run the ball downhill. Throw the high percentage passes that Brock Purdy's good at. The quick passes were working all day. Screens, slants, etc. were working all day. Why are we doing this fancy play calling instead of running the ball downhill with your, your best player and working the quick passing game? I don't get it. It doesn't make sense. Um, and lastly, there were too many mistakes, as I mentioned, and the bounces just didn't go Iowa State's way this game, right? That fumble at the end of the first half, more often than not, that ball isn't able to be picked up and returned because it's bouncing around and they just have to sort of fall on it. Right? But it happens to bounce so it can get picked up and scored. Later in the game, you have OU fumble in their own end zone, and it bounces right to an OU offensive lineman, right? And so we can pick it up and run it out of the end zone, right? Like the fact that that doesn't result in at least an Iowa State safety is just incredibly unlucky. They did everything right there and weren't able to get anything to show from it. Those are just some bounces that didn't go our way. And if either of those bounces go the Cyclones' way, you're looking at a very different game right now that the Cyclones probably win, frankly. So they didn't play terribly. I mean, they were a couple bounces away from being the winning team there. It just didn't go your way. Um, and sometimes that happens. Um, disappointing. Um, you would have loved to see him win that game. I think outside of, you know, three plays, I think Iowa State was the better team um, that game. Um, but Oklahoma got three big plays um, that Iowa State didn't, and that was that was the difference. So sometimes it happens. You got to be better, play better, find a way to win these games that they've just, they've just lost every close game they've been in all year, mostly self-inflicted. It's kind of sad. It, it comes down to execution. You, you don't execute the plays you need to. You get behind the sticks. That, like we've said all year, this isn't a team. This isn't one of your big play teams. This is a team that uh, their offense kind of revolves around getting one or getting two or three yards on first down, um, being in third and third and three to like third and six type situations, not third and ten. Um, it's just not their specialty. It's not where their bread and butter is. Um, third and three all day to Charlie Kohler, Kohler on an out route or Xavier Hutchinson on a slant, um, and it's just. Oh, I just get confused with some of the play calls at some points. Um, and, you know, that that is just, it's, it is what it is. Um, bad execution in certain points of the game could have been better. 
Does Brock Purdy need to hold on to the ball a little bit better? Yes. Um, but and that that one play where some people were uh, upset potentially about a targeting call, the very big hit on Brock Purdy. Uh, at that point, Brock Purdy just needs to know: throw the ball out of bounds. Don't give yeah, up. You can't. You cannot turn to the middle of the field. Then. No, never. It, and there's just a bunch of times where. Well, there was there were two other times where Brock Purdy scampers and he barely makes it to the line of scrimmage. Just throw the ball away, save it for another down. I get maybe if you have someone right behind you and maybe you can get a late hit out of bounds penalty, maybe just take it. But throw the ball away, throw it out of bounds, live for the next down. Don't you can't get into those negative yardage. It's just a team that can't recover from it and can't overcome it. Yeah. It's just just tough to see, tough to see all the hopes for what was such a promising um, coming in this way. But that's the way it is. Um, there is one more game left. Um, TCU on Black Friday slash Senior Day. Um, it'll be it three thirty kickoff on FS1. And yes, you did hear that right. Black Friday. It is on Friday. Don't tune in at three thirty on Sunday. The game will be over Friday. Friday. Watch it on Friday. Um, Iowa State is 14.5 point favorites, and they have an 88.2% chance to win, um, according to FPI. This game might matter a little bit as far as bowl game selection. It might make the difference between Memphis or Arizona, for example. Um, The Cheez-It Bowl versus the Alamo Bowl versus the uh, Liberty Bowl. Um, That's about all the difference it'll probably make. But still... If you got tickets, go show up at Jack Trice Stadium. Support these seniors on Senior Day. Like I said last week, this team has earned it. Like, think about five years ago where you were saying this team has a chance to get to seven wins on the last game of the season on Senior Day. Be like, heck yeah, I'm there, right? Because this team won three games a year back then, right? This seniors have brought us so far. Um, and brought us so much joy watching this team. Yes, this game wasn't the way it turned out, but go support those seniors and give them a good send-off, please. Give them standing ovations like they deserve. Give them a good send-off. That's what they deserve. Please, please give it to them. They deserve it. Um, in, as, of course, I'm sure you know, our Big 12 uh, title hopes are dashed. If it helps you anymore, even if we were to beat OU, because both Baylor and Oklahoma State won their games, um, we wouldn't have ended up. Uh, we would we would have been eliminated from title contention anyway, um, even if we would have beaten OU. So that makes the loss feel a little bit better, at least for me. But the Big Twelve title hopes are dashed. Oklahoma State clinched a spot in the Big Twelve title game, um, regardless of the bedlam outcome next week. Um, then there's still a dis- then uh, Baylor and OU are still competing for that last spot. If OU wins or Baylor loses, OU will go play OSU. But if Baylor wins and OU loses, then it will be Baylor versus Oklahoma State in the Big 12 title. Um, so there you have it. Two more chances to watch these this team play, once on Black Friday, and then a bowl game probably in Memphis or Phoenix um, in the sometime between Christmas and um, football season is winding down, um, but Cyclone basketball season is starting to ratchet up with a couple games this last week and then a, a big test coming up 
um, later this week, and Kyle will fill us in on that. Yeah, so this this basketball team, I mean, they're undefeated. They have four wins. They've almost, almost matched the number of wins that the football team has so far this season. So That's good. They didn't do that last year. They did not do that last year. That was a very unfortunate and woeful season for that team. But things might be a little bit different this year. Uh, still a lot to be seen. Um, I mean, their opponents this week were Alabama State and Grambling State. Now, to be fair, against Alabama State, Iowa State was tied and actually losing uh, under four minutes left in this game. Um, but they did end up pulling out the victory in both games. The Grambling State game was an absolute blowout. Um, what I will say is if you look at the box score for this team, they they definitely don't look pretty in the box score. They They look a whole heck of a lot better live on TV than they do um, just looking at their stats. Uh, for reference against that, um, in that Alabama State game, I should say, they shot the ball poorly, very, very poorly from the field. They were one of 20 from three-point range. They hit one three-pointer in the entire game. They shot 37% as a whole in that game. Now you're like, well, how did they end up winning? Uh, because Alabama State had 22 turnovers. Now, one thing that is good to see in back-to-back games, Iowa State has been able to limit the turnovers that they have committed. Um, That was one thing that I mentioned from their first two games of the season that they were very, very bad at so far and something they need on. It'll be something that has to be kept an eye on um, as this team goes forward, but... For right now, I mean, this team is getting some pretty good looks. They had, uh, against Alabama State, they had 12 fast break points, uh, which are just easy points. They had 13 assists, uh, and it led to some runouts, and they're moving the ball across the floor very well. The ball doesn't just sit in one person's hand with a couple of screens and then someone hucks up a shot like in the prone era. Um, But... And then you go to the Grambling State game, and they had 21 assists. The ball was moving freely. Uh, Tyrese Hunter seems to be getting pretty comfortable early on uh, with this team and in this system. I think it, it appears as if this team is trying to be built around him as being a key cog um, of this team and of this program going forward. Uh so far, he doesn't look like a potential breakout candidate in his freshman year, um, but, you know, there's still a lot of season to be. And that season gets a lot tougher this week. I mean, it's your first measuring stick uh, for how good this team actually will be potentially this season. They face their top 25 matchup this week in a Xavier program that has been historically good over the past decade um, of a, always around an NCAA um, bubble team or contender each and every season. So it'll be a good game in that first game of the NIT season tip-off uh, that is being held in Brooklyn, New York. Uh, and in their second game, they get uh, a Memphis team that has been very solid recently and a Virginia Tech team uh, that also, I mean, it's just another measuring stick against a Power 5 um, conference opponent. Uh, in either one of those teams, they'll play, you know, the winner or the loser, depending on their outcome with Xavier. So we'll look to see 
how they end up doing in this tournament this week. Those are the only two games they're slated for this coming week. So we'll keep an eye on that and update you on their status and how they look coming out of those games. So, Mike, do you want to do you want to update us on some status on you know some of the teams in the NFL and how good they look, how bad some of them look, and how confusing the NFL is this year? Yeah, just like the last two weeks. This was another very confusing week um, in the NFL. Well, it started on Thursday with something that wasn't very confusing, and that was the Patriots beating the Cordero Patterson and Calvin Ridley-less Falcons. Um, So that was really not a surprise. But then once we got into the games on Sunday, there were a lot of surprises. Um, The Colts killed the Bills in a game that uh, Jonathan Taylor scored um, five, count them, Five touchdowns. Um, not quite as good as Alvin Kamara against the Vikings on Christmas um, last year. Wasn't that six touchdowns? I believe that he scored in that uh, game. Yeah, yeah, he had he had six in that game. Yeah, so not quite that, but still, five touchdowns in a game is uh, very impressive. Um, the Titans uh, got slayed, um, brought back down to earth by the lowly Houston Texans. Um, knocked off the Titans in the AFC. Um, just as we finally thought a great team was emerging, they go ahead uh, and lose to the Texans. Granted, they I mean, didn't have Derrick Henry, but they won the last two weeks without him. Well, yeah, they haven't. They've won without him. I talked about it last week. I was like, all right, who's the top team in the AFC? The Titans. What do they go out and do? They lose to the Texans. And who have the Titans lost to this year? The Texans and the Jets. So are are two of their losses which is just very puzzling. So the NFL is just absolutely confusing. And Kirk Cousins performs really well and outduels Aaron Rodgers, right, Mike? Yeah, the Vikings continued their um, aggressive play calling and actually won a sh- what turned into a shootout against Green Bay. I expected this to be a low-scoring game, but it turned into a shootout um, with the Vikings coming out on top in this one by a score of 34 to 31 um, with like three, yeah, there were, you know, two touchdowns and a field goal scored in the last three minutes of this game. Um, Vikings go up by seven, Packers go 75 yards on the next play to tie it up, and then the Vikings drive down and kick a game-winning field goal. Um, Just a wacky game, but one the Vikings won and and needed to win to get their playoff hopes um, um, back in business. Um, Philly pounds New Orleans um, to dent the Saints' playoff chances. Really, again, that there's it's a very it's turned into a very very crowded middle of the NFC, um, and there are no great teams in the NFC either. The Packers just took a dent. The Cardinals probably are the best team, but I mean they've got two losses and almost lost to the. Uh, the Vikings as well. I would say there's no truly great team in the NFC with how bad the Rams have looked too these last couple weeks. Well, um, so my my thing about the Cardinals, let's see who the Cardinals have lost to. They lost to Carolina when they had backup quarterback Colt McCoy and they had a bunch of turnovers that just killed them in that game. They've won two games with Colt McCoy as their backup quarterback and then they lost in a shootout to Aaron Rodgers uh and 
the Green Bay Packers. That, so that that game that game wasn't a sh- wasn't really a shootout. It was twenty four twenty one. That's like okay. That's like it like felt the more most like com- a shootout. That's like the most common score in the history of the NFL. It, would, it felt more like a shootout with the last like five minutes of that game. But 156 times that scores happen in the NFL. It's that's it's a pretty lot. Common. Pretty common. But I mean, I mean, Arizona's probably probably the top team in the NFC. They've beaten every single NFC West team on the road so far. So they've they've won all those road games. Now they get them all at home. So they might be in the best position to end up with the one seed. But you know, they could turn around and lose to a team uh, like the like the Titans do on a regular basis. So. I, no one knows, and especially no one knows about you know the AFC. The AFC is starting to get pretty tight at the top too, which the top is now molding into the middle. Once the Titans lose, and the Chiefs are kind of back in it, the Chargers are in it again, um, and everyone's kind of jostling around. Especially with the Bills losing, the Colts after go, starting the season either one and one and three or. Uh, they started with a terrible record. They're back in it, potentially. Uh, but the Chiefs' defense wins a game, which is not something that I thought I would say myself or hear myself saying so far this season. The defense played very well. They forced three turnovers. They finally won a turnover battle in a game. Um, but the, the game looked like it was going to be a blowout early, but both defenses really came alive in the second half and limited each team to only field goals with the Chiefs getting a uh, interception to seal the game in the end. The LA Chargers and the Pittsburgh Steelers had a wild game, especially in the fourth quarter um, on Sunday night football. Justin, or not Justin, uh, Justin Herbert uh played phenomenally for the Chargers. He did have an uncharacteristic interception late in that game. But the fourth quarter alone featured 27 points scored by Pittsburgh and 14 points scored by the Chargers. Uh, You get um, a Najee Harris touchdown from Pittsburgh, 11-35. Austin Eckler touchdown for the Chargers, 8-48. Then the Pittsburgh Steelers have a long touchdown drive then they block a punt uh and score two touchdowns in the span of 26 seconds then they get an interception a chris boswell field goal and then finally justin herbert completes a uh 53 yard pass to michael williams for the game winning touchdown so absolutely crazy finish on sunday night football we'll see what's in store on monday night Maybe a maybe a little bit of a confusing game potentially if the Buccaneers aren't able to beat the Giants, but nonetheless, crazy week. It's going to continue being crazy in the NFL uh, for the rest of the season. I would project. So we go from crazy to somber this this week. We have another installment of our weekly turtle tab. And Mike, I, I kind of gave it away. But we have an we have an emergency weekly turtle tab. Normally we take the off season off, but we have an emergency weekly turtle tab with two important pieces of information. Um, first, like Kyle said, a somber one. Um, as as expected, I I, 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 I I led you guys to this. I, I'm trying to let you down slowly. Um, our hero Willens Ostadio, baseball's savior, was DFA'd by the Twins. Um, to make room on the 40-man roster. 
um, this week. So he is no longer a twin. He is currently um, on waivers slash a free agent um, and will be presumably playing elsewhere, though it's a chance he will come back to the Twins on a minor league deal. The presumption is that he will be elsewhere um, this upcoming season. In other news, more Willens Astadio-esque news, um, he is playing in the Venezuelan Winter League, as he often does. He is um, Venezuelan, that is where he is from. Um, and he was involved in quite the bench-clearing brawl in the Venezuelan Winter League. Um, he was on third base, and one of his players got hit by a pitcher who's in the Miami Marlins organization. Um, one of his players, actually another Twins farmhand, Thomas Talese, um, was hit um, by a pitcher who had also hit a different teammate earlier in the week in a different game. Um, anyway, there's some backstory that I don't quite understand. Anyway, after some, some arguing, the bench is clear, and Willens-Ostadio runs in from third base and absolutely sucker punches that pitcher on the blind side and nearly KOs. Like, that pitcher goes down. He connected with this punch. Um, not really a good look. Like, I don't encourage this behavior, but uh, it was certainly exciting. I encourage you to go try to find this video on Twitter. Um, if you can't find it there, you can find there's an article about it on twinsdaily.com um, if you're looking for it. Um, so I encourage you to go find that and just watch me absolutely sucker punches him. It's a heck of a punch. It's one of the best, uh, best baseball punches I've seen in quite a while. The Venezuelan Winter League is known to be a little bit rougher than um, most leagues. Um, so there is that, but still, it's not really something you like to see, but I do encourage you to go take a look. Um, so there you go, two two exciting pieces of on our weekly turtle tab. Um, in Mike's Stupid Rules, we're going to talk about that strange play on Iowa State's first drive of the game against OU, um, the drive that resulted in a touchdown. We're going to talk about the weird catch, fumble, out-of-bounds, first down, weird play. We're going to break that down, um, the one that was reviewed there on the first drive. Um, I'm not going to... So originally on the field, it was ruled an incomplete pass. I'm not really going to touch on the catch-no-catch -catch part of it because um, those rules get talked about all the time. Those aren't particularly interesting. I want to talk about the, the fumble part of it. So as soon as you call it a catch... There was obviously a fumble involved in that. He did not cross the plane before he lost possession. So there was obviously a fumble involved. Now, I'm going to talk about all the different things that can happen um, in the case of that fumble. So, once there is a fumble, um, um, so if the, pass, if the fumble is recovered by an inbounds player, the play continues. Um, when a fumble is caught or recovered simultaneously by opposing players, it's dead and belongs to the team last in possession. That's sort of obvious. What applies here is we're looking at Rule 7, Article 4, um, Part B. When a fumble goes out of bounds between the goal lines, um, in advance of the spot of the fumble, the ball belongs to the fumbling team at the spot of the fumble. Um, and B, behind the spot of the fumble, the fumble belongs to the fumbling team at the out-of-bounds spot. And C, beyond the goal line, when a fumble um, or backwards pass goes out-of-bounds behind or beyond the goal line, it is a safety or touchback, depending on the end zone. So, 
to break that down, if the fumble goes out of bounds in the field of play, it goes to either the fumbling spot or the out of bounds spot, whichever is worse for the offense. And if it's a fumble in the end zone, um, it in that case it would be a touchback for the um, for the defense, um, and it would have been OU's ball in that case. Now what happened here is that um, the ball was when the OU player forced the fumble, he was standing out of bounds. As soon as a ball is touched by an out of bounds player, it is it is dead. As soon as a loose ball, I should say, is touched by an out-of-bounds player, it is dead. So the second that Joe Skates lost possession of the ball there, because it was being touched by an OU player, it is immediately dead out-of-bounds at that point. So that's why uh, Iowa State got the ball at the fumbled spot. Because as soon as it was fumbled, it was being touched by an OU player. It was immediately dead at that point. So even though it went into the end zone and then out of bounds, which would normally result in a touchback, it was already dead by the time it did that because it was touched by the OU player who was standing out of bounds. It's dead at that point by rule. Does that make uh, does that make sense, uh, Wyatt? Yeah, for sure. And you see this sometimes too. I mean, not very often, but... Uh... Those thousand IQ plays where uh, a free kick is, you know, right on your goal line. You're you're the returner, so you step out of bounds and then touch the ball for a, uh, um, a free kick or not a free kick infraction, but a uh, kick out of bounds. You know, get, get that extra fifteen yards or ball in the thirty-five. But yeah, no, that, that made total sense, and I'm kind of surprised Mike Pereira didn't catch that. Uh, I'm not a big Mike Pereira fan, but if he's out there spouting that this is either a OU touchback. Or whatever the other option was, um, uh, an incomplete pass. A, t- a touchdown. I think was. He, well, I, I think they well, were saying an incomplete pass. Yeah, he he said it was an incomplete pass, a touchdown if it broke the plane, or a, a touchback, and well, so that's I, all that he said. And then he never said anything else either. Like as a rules analyst, shouldn't you watch the play and give your two cents yeah. on it? Well, two but, two comments. One, it was Dean Blandino, not uh, Mike Pereira. So we'll 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 at the right guy, I believe. No, um, wasn't it Dean? Or was Dean in no. the uh, in the Vikings game? Am I getting the Vikings game and the Cyclones game? Can... I'm ninety nine percent sure it was Mike Pereira. Was it okay? Yeah. Um, but it, so to give him to to be fair, I actually also didn't see that the OU player was out of bounds until the official gave his ruling. So like, I don't fault him for not mentioning that. Like, I would have liked him to go on and clarify it after the play after the ruling, but I don't fault him for not seeing that in advance. I certainly didn't see it when I was watching the play live. I saw it and I was also like, yes, that's either incomplete or it's a touchback. That That's what I saw when I was watching the review. I didn't even think that the OU player was out of bounds yet. So I'm going to give him a little bit of a pass there. That's fair. I, I do agree. I wish he would have stepped in after the fact to talk about it. Even though Brandon Cruz, the referee that gave the call, I thought was very, very clear on what happened. I agree. I was that was a actually really pretty good, impressed. That was a really good explanation by the official and a really good call. I mean, I still, even after reviewing it, thought it was probably an incomplete pass. Um, I don't know why it if you watched it and have thoughts on that part of it. Yep. But assuming it was a complete pass... That was absolutely the correct call and very well explained by the official. To me, it's kind of awkward because on the field, 99 times out of 100, that's going to be called an incomplete pass. But when you look at it with instant replay, you know, you see obvious possession of the ball, control of the ball, I guess. 
Um, and then to me, there was what what's deemed to be, you know, a football move. He was already turned up field, but he has obvious control movement of the ball and then it's ripped out. To me, that's a catch, but you're never going to call that a catch in, in real time. It's just awkward. That, that was a very awkward sequence of events that happened. But I mean, if they're going to review it, you look at it, that's got to be a catch. And if it's a catch and it was a fumble touched by a player out of bounds, I, I mean, that's the result of the play. I think it's a good call after review, but if they decided not to review it, I, I wouldn't be mad either. Yeah. Yep. It, all around, I think I think the officiating crew did a solid job that game. I didn't I didn't see anything that I was super upset at the officiating crew for at all that game. Nothing to get the radio commentators suspended in this game. So yeah, I mean you can talk about the rule. You can complain about the rules, like on that Brock Purdy shoulder to helmet hit. Like I agree, by the rules, that's not targeting. We can talk about how the rules don't really make sense that if you brush a player helmet to helmet, just brushed, it's targeting and you're ejected, but you could absolutely destroy him with your shoulder and it's not even a penalty. You can talk about how that's kind of dumb, but the way the rules are written, that's the correct call and all the officiating crew can do is is call it by the rule book. So good job on them. Yep, 100%. Um, what was not a good job this week, as most weeks, is um, I write that down predictions, as you'll see in our accountability session. Um, two predictions come off the board, both Cyclones related, and based on this week, you can just assume that they're not good. Um, and they're both the same, really. Kyle, way back at the beginning of the year, predicted that Iowa State would win the Big 12 title. Um, since they can't make the championship game anymore, um, they can't win the Big 12 title. So, nah. 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 And I predicted that after the West Virginia loss, I believe it was, or maybe it was the, it's got to be the West Virginia. Um, I predicted that Iowa State would fight back to wit- to make the Big 12 title game. Um, they proceeded to not do that and were eliminated from contention. So for that, I get a meh. Meh. That's it for accountability session. Um, we'll have a couple more once the uh, Cyclone football season ends for sure. But otherwise, we might have some light accountability sessions here as the NFL season um, rounds down or winds down. Um, but... We will start by getting some predictions back onto the board. Um, I'm going to touch on something we didn't talk about in this podcast. I'm going to talk about the ISU women's basketball team, who are currently um, ranked, I believe it is 13th um, in the uh, AP rankings. Let me just double check that. Don't want to sell them short. They're ranked 14th. Excuse me. They're ranked 14th in the, the AP rankings. I'm projecting that they are going to have a... Um, a good season, and they are going to end up um, end up as a three seed or better in the NCAA tournament. A top three seed NCAA. Tournament. Man, I like that. I, I mean, I don't I know what like to give it. it though. I say. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, I mean, just uh, this has to be a triple or a home run, right? I would say triple. Mike, do you know what they're offhand? Do you know what they are projected to be like? Conference like, standing wise, uh, I can end of look the season. it up. Probably second or third Big Twelve women's basketball preseason, but they were predicted second, tied second, for second yeah. after tied for the second. Texas. Okay. So Baylor was predicted first. Iowa State and Texas were actually dead tied for second, and then West Virginia was fourth. Mm. Um, as far as Big Twelve finishes, um, if you want ESPN's most updated. 
bracketology? Is that something that would help you? Sure. In making this decision. So the last update for bracketology was the 17th of November. Um, and it predicted Iowa State as a four seed. Mm. Triple? We Do we like yeah, triple I, here? I, I like a triple here. Um, I don't think it's a home run. One seed yeah. home run. Well, they're not going to get seed. They're not that good. Well, duh. Um, yeah. I'm fine with I'm triple. Just saying, argue with I'm, I'm just saying that would be like the cutoff, probably. Yeah, I'm good with a triple. I won't argue. Very good. We got anything from Josh this week? Is he still alive? Yep, still alive, still doing good. Uh, he's uh, licking his wounds from that Packers loss. Um, but he's also predicting something we haven't talked about in the podcast. He's going with an NBA prediction. He is predicting that the Milwaukee Bucks will win each of their la- oh, each of their next three games. Bucks to win each of their next three games. Um, for the um, for clarification. Um, the next three games are, uh, if I can find it, excuse me. I have them here. Yeah, I have them um, uh, at home versus the Pistons, at the Nuggets, and then at the Pacers. Okay. Well, the according to 538, they have a 93% chance to beat the Pistons. Oh, 0.93. Then in their next game, they have a 40% chance to beat the Nuggets. And then in their third game, they have a 47% chance to beat the Pacers. That gives it a 17.5% chance overall to, to do a Josh. Um, that's triple territory, I believe, right? At 17%, that's like double, right. triple territory. Yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty close there on the cusp, but I think we can give him a triple for it. Yeah, I'd say so. Triple it is. Wyatt? Very nice. I'm going to put my annual Cyclones men's basketball prediction up on the board that says the Cyclones men's basketball team is going to make it to the Elite Eight. I mean, predicted to finish 10th in the Big 12. This is, at best, probably an NIT team. That's it. Do you need to discuss this? That's even generous. This is a home run. No discussion. What do you got, Kyle? Uh, yeah, so, I mean, it's it's still possible. There is a way that this happens, and I'm going to predict that Texas will finish last place in the big, like, in the final standings for of the Big 12 in okay. football. So, right now, they are in ninth. They are two and six. In tenth is Kansas at one and seven. Kansas does have the tiebreaker because of their win over Texas. So basically what this needs to happen is Texas needs to lose to K-State and KU needs to beat West Virginia. Um, So that should be simple. According to ESPN's FPI, um, there is a 31% chance that Texas loses to K-State. So 0.31. And then there is a 10.8% chance that Kansas beats West Virginia. 0.108. Gives this a 3.3% chance of happening. (laughs) That's technically home run territory, but I don't feel like the odds of this happening are actually that bad. Well, we're going back to last episode when I was trying to make the argument for, uh, I think, Josh's prediction uh, of, of, or or maybe it was Kyle's prediction of Kansas beating Texas, where FPI said it was basically impossible, but man, it just felt so right. I mean, it's not a double. This. No, it's no, certainly no, not no, a double. No, no. It's, it's, it's either, either a triple or a home run. run. I'll be real honest with y'all. I'm fine with the triple. 
Oh, let's I, do it. I want it so bad. Okay. Oh, I'm let's not do it. going to complain if somebody says they want less bases than we might give them. I, give I me a triple. I'm not, I'm not a power hitter. I'm a speed guy. All right. We'll take the triple. Most exciting play in baseball. I like it. With three triples and a home run, that concludes our Write That Down prediction segment, which means we're at the end of the episode. Thank you so much for listening to episode 152 of the 8311 cast. Appreciate y'all sticking around and listening to our awesome sports podcast. Signing off for the 8311 cast, we hosts, Kyle Mersh, Mike Ludwig, and Wyatt Teeter. We'll talk to y'all again next week. Go Cyclones. Go Cyclones. Go Cyclones.